0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Drunken Scholar Podcast. This is the Wars in the North series. I'm your host, Devin Clays, and I got with me Levi Cardoza.
1: Hey, what's going on, everyone? Thanks for having me, Devin.
0: Of course. Last episode, we were talking about what the Russians were doing after the deluge, and before that, it was the Polish Commonwealth, and today, we're going to go into what's going on in Denmark and Sweden during this period. So we find ourselves in 1660, first off, because if you all remember, Denmark and Sweden, they end up piecing out of the war before Russia does and, and Poland ends their wars. So, you know, Sweden and Denmark, they get out of the war in 1660 and Denmark ends up making a humiliating peace. Where we find ourselves here with Denmark is a country on the brink of collapse, economically speaking. So previously, during this war, like while Sweden's invasion was happening, a typhus outbreak happens, killing massive swaths of the population, Denmark is now facing bankruptcy over the last 40, 50, 60 years, the taxes have gone up by 500% Good
1: to, God!
0: to keep up with the demands for the wartime economy and whatnot.
1: 500%.
0: 500%. That's decade after decade. We're talking like an entire generation of people are just being extorted. Like people always oh, talk man. about that's taxes crazy. going up, but this is like legit. Like this this sucks.
1: Yeah, this is this something you can't tra- you can't truly really live with. Like you can't live in a life like that. You can't live in a world like that.
0: No. Yeah. Tax like, is going like,
1: up five hundred percent. Like here, you know, just nowadays we fill it with inflation and taxes rising and the living cost and it's just how, you know, the American middle class is utterly destroyed. Most of the country is and the lower like poverty levels, like it it's, it's impressive to get like sixty thousand a year. So the idea of having your taxes go up five hundred percent within a lifetime, just going off of how we live now in like a like in a wealthy nation, like a great wealthy state. I, it's truly unfathomable,
0: yeah, I mean, yeah, like the the level of destitution. And yeah. poverty just goes through the roof. And
1: I believe it. Let's take a drink to these poor Danish fucks, man. That is ah.
0: Oh, it was, oh, was oh, so good it? to be
1: a Dane, dude. These poor people. All right. To the Danes.
0: Yeah. These guys with the, the taxes <clears throat> being, I guess, extortionate, you would say. I don't know any other way to put it. I right? don't know any other
1: way you could say it. Yeah, extortionate.
0: Yeah. Due to this. Over like like just about fifty percent of the homesteads are taxed into oblivion and have to be abandoned. People are selling what their property on mass. Everything's being abandoned, and this only makes the economy situation even worse.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have less citizens to tax five hundred percent. Yeah,
0: because they yeah they've lost everything. Yeah, everyone's
1: fucking fleeing to like Germany and like the Netherlands? Must have been why it was so easy for the Prussians to take Schleswig Holstein, because all the Danes went to the German side when they were getting taxed five hundred percent in the fucking sixteen hundred. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, we're moving on. We're moving on. <laughs> Here you go. All right, going.
0: bad. that's fucking great. So what what happens with this crisis is King Frederick the Third he ends up calling an emergency Reichstag, and essentially what this is is like a gathering of pretty much everyone important. You have members of the nobility, the the burghers, various important businessmen, pretty much everyone who's not like a peasant Mm -hmm. is going to attend this emergency Reichstag.
1: Yeah, come together, all the leading parts and portions of the government and of the people, yeah. Come together about this fucking utter catastrophe that's going on right now, like an actual national
0: crisis. Dude, uh, like to put things into perspective at this point in Denmark's history, their national revenue is about two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. But their national debt is about five million. Good God. So just to put everything into perspective, and that's you know, that's before you take out all the various expenses. So, yeah, it's pretty dire. And so what happens is, you know, there's proposals that essentially would make this noble class get rid of their tax exemptions and whatnot. Make make the nobles start paying land taxes and have the rich pay a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh,
1: the typical efficient things that have to be done. You know, the rich people pay their
0: taxes. Yeah. The rich noble families are... Naturally, very much against this. They're like, no, absolutely not. No, we're, we're not going to vote for that. But essentially, like everyone gets so upset that they're all in agreement to launch a coup and support the uh, the king, Frederick III, to take over as an absolute monarch because before this, the Danes, had been an elective monarchy for hundreds of years now. And, you know, just similar to Poland, when when these kings would get elected, they would have to make promises as part of their charter to the nobles that elected them. But this is no more. Because come January 1661, the coup is launched. The nobles' privileges are completely revoked. The nobles lose everything. Their positions in government are subject um, to change. I want to say like about three quarters of nobles in high positions are sacked. And so Denmark during this period after the war just endures like this crazy amount of change. And so now for the first time ever, these Danish kings now have the power to make these radical financial reforms and change the military and be able to make their own decisions without the nobles constantly nipping at their heels.
1: Yeah, giving their way in as to how things remain the same.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so what we see here is Denmark, their economic recovery begins, but then more importantly, the king of Denmark, or Frederick III, he's going to plot, and wait for his moment to get revenge on the Swedes because now Denmark has been humiliated by Sweden about like four times now in the last hundred years and it Mm. lost concessions every time. And so finally Denmark's going to be in a position to where it can achieve its ambitions, but not before its period of economic recovery. Meanwhile, in Sweden that same year, Charles X, he comes back to Stockholm seeing his family for the first time in forever because he's been on campaign so long. He immediately gets sick, catching an illness while inspecting and drilling his troops. And essentially, Charles has pneumonia. But he ends up getting misdiagnosed by his physician. And because of the misdiagnosis ends up killing him quicker due to the medicine the physician gives him, leaving his son, Charles Eleventh to be on the throne. Now, it's important to mention here that Charles Eleventh, in 1660, this boy is receiving the crown, but he's only five years old. And so his father, Charles X, on his deathbed, assembles all of his closest aides and uh, most trusted counselors and noblemen of the realm and he essentially forms this Regency Council to rule the country in Charles's stead while he's learning and coming of age and whatnot. Now, at this point, despite everything going on, Charles, or Sweden I should say, has reached its zenith as far as international prestige goes. They've now had a hundred years of victorious offensive wars. Every war they've gotten into, they've gotten something out of it. And Sweden got very lucky at the end of the deluge being able to make gains against Denmark because they almost got completely destroyed. But regardless of all these gains and Swedish prestige, it had become a glass cannon. And on the inside, the country is looking at a collapse, almost. The deluge had pushed Sweden to the very limit. And what we see here is Sweden, similar to Denmark, is also about to face bankruptcy. Okay, Because we mentioned in previous episodes, the Swedish war will pay for itself policy. And this... Policy had seen some successes as long as Sweden was on the offense, but now war exhaustion through the roof.
1: Yeah. And then just, that just means you're devastating all the lands that you're occupying and therefore devastated lands are not going to be able to bring forth any nourishment. You can't raise cattle. You can't sow crops. You can't fucking, I mean, you can't do anything on land that's devastated. So when you just have these Swedes living there for fucking decade after decade and basically a war stance, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's absolutely yeah. devastating. Like you said, yeah, like when you're, yeah, when you're on the move, it's all good. Yeah, the war feeds itself. I mean, fucking, Cato like, taught us that and likes us uh, up fucking 200 BC fighting in Hispania, but, you know, the second, uh, the war stops kind of moving, yeah, well, that means the war is just sitting on the same fucking acre of land year after year after year and you can only burn it feel it, scorch it so many times before it stops doing anything for you.
0: Exactly. And so with Sweden's policy here, as we mentioned before, right, Sweden's military was much larger than it could actually pay for, because it relied on all the constant pillaging and raiding. And now with these aggressive wars ceasing, Sweden simply can't pay the army. And so you're going to have to downsize it or make some sort of changes or austerity measures. And so things start to go from bad to worse. Throughout the 1650s, the copper prices tank, which was Sweden's most profitable good during its rise to power. Old copper mine. Yeah, all those Dutch investors. And so the prices of their most lucrative trade good tank and then aside from that, during these wars of aggression under Gustavus, Adolphus, and then later Charles X, the crown needed additional income to pay for these wars. And so the policy to pay for this, these series of wars was to parcel up the land and sell it to the nobles in exchange for donations. And of course, this is great for a quick cash injection, the crown income quickly starts to diminish. And between the years of 1644 and 1653, the crown's income had de- decreased by 60%. 60% loss of your national income is gone now. And this compounds and makes things even worse because. Previous episodes, when we talked about Gustavus Adolphus's reforms, you know, you might remember that part of his policy was, you know, to retain the veterans in these, this elite officer corps, he would promise out these uh, homesteads from the crown lands and would be given the revenues of those lands. And then upon their death, they would go back to the crown. Well, With the crown parceling off all these lands to the nobles, the crown no longer has as much land to give to the veterans. And so as a result, people don't re-enlist. The need for conscription goes up immensely. But then due to that, the desertion rates go through the roof. You see a decline in the quality of their, their training, their equipment everything's just going down the shitter. And by the end of the coalition war, Sweden can't even afford to maintain its German garrisons and fortifications. Those now have to be nerfed and downsized. So Sweden finds itself in a very precarious position when this boy King Charles takes the throne, or I should say the Regency Council is ruling. And First, let, let, let's go over what kind of guy this Charles Eleventh is, okay? Because in his upbringing, his, uh, his various tutors and guests in the court noted that he was just not a very exceptional man. They noted him as being poorly educated. He could barely read, very sheltered in the royal quarters. He was reportedly afraid of everything. Deeply religious. In summary, this man was just not an impressive character to lead the country. And so with Sweden facing this internal crisis combined with a perceivably weak king, things were not looking too good for the new Swedish empire. However, during this time, during the Regency, Sweden would have to ally itself to France, okay? And this is because France is, at this time, under King Louis Fourteenth, And this guy's doing a lot of big things in Europe. He's, the uh, Sun king? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's doing a lot of big things. He's yeah,
1: doing exactly. a lot of big things kind he's, of all the time.
0: He's, he's uh, cashing checks and breaking necks.
1: Yeah, that dude is—he's—he's uh, he's the fucking point man for doing big things,
0: straight up, dude. And and this man Louis, right? Louis the Fourteenth, and him and all of his great plans—he's um—he's not really good at making a whole lot of friends in Europe, and people start getting really upset with this guy, and a coalition yeah. starts to form against the French. And so what happens is he reaches out to Sweden and he says he's like, he's like, hey, I will pay out of the French coffers to fund the entire army and garrison of Germany for Sweden. But the thing is with this deal is that Sweden would have to back up France if France was attacked. You know, Sweden would have to go to their their aid in a defensive war. And so, Sweden, being backed up into a corner now, with its finances being run so thin, has no choice but to accept, or you're just going to let your all of your gains in Germany just decay, essentially. And, eventually, come 1674, Charles, he ends up, Taking the throne he's in power and that french coalition goes to war and naturally sweden is going to be pulled into this war and what happens is that denmark sees the lack of preparation and how far the swedish military had declined and frederick Third is going to now seize his chance for revenge and he's going to declare war on Sweden and thus launching the Scanian War in 1674. But we're going to leave it right there for this episode because it was going to be too long if I if we got into the Scanian War. The- yeah, we can't go
1: crazy with the Scanians. The, the Scanian War is going to get crazy. Yeah. But this is going to be uh, Denmark's last hurrah, correct?
0: This is going to be Denmark's real, honestly, in my opinion, their last bid to become a player in the Northern Wars and regain their prestige in their yeah,
1: their, regain their place within the social hierarchy of Europe at this time.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay.
1: So this is their this is the move.
0: Yeah, but during this war, the world is going to be shocked because Charles the Eleventh is going to prove everyone wrong. He's going to prove his entire court wrong and he will change Sweden from the ground up and lay the foundations for his heir Charles the 12th, the most famous of the Swedish kings.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: that's the boy, dude. But no, we're we're going to get into all that and all the details in the next episode. So
1: fantastic
0: yeah, I appreciate you guys for tuning in, and y'all take it easy.
1: All right, later, y'all.